Hello, and welcome to Dwell on Truth. My name is Brenton Powers. And I'm Dan Bodwin. And we're missionaries with Open Air Campaigners. You know, one of our missions is to present Christ by all means everywhere, preaching the gospel to lost people. Uh, But our other mission is to mobilize the body of Christ, primarily through effective outdoor open air outreaches and evangelism. So we're going to talk about that today. Yeah, what what the heck is this evangelism thing you're talking about, some of you may be wondering? Wondering, and we want to uh, break down exactly what that means and why we do what we do. Yep, and evangelism has been demonized by the world. They think it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a bad thing to try and force your beliefs on others, and we also think that that's a bad thing, yeah. to force your beliefs on others. But the world has also come around and found business positions for <laughs> that they call evangelists. It just means someone who proclaims good news about something. That's right. Yes. We'll get into what our message what is good that we want to proclaim to you today. But uh, the first half of today's show, I'm going to be sharing with new believers about why you should care and what you should do as a follower of Jesus in sharing the good news with others. And in the second half of the show, Dan is going to be leading and talking to you non-believers about why you should care. Yes, indeed. And I'm looking forward to talking a little bit about, about what evangelism means and, and how exactly Brent and you and I go about it. Today we do have our guest speaker, um, Brenton Powers. I'm pretty excited. So, but yeah, he's a Northern California local. He served as a missionary church planter for nine years in Eastern Europe. Um, he's someone he currently works with open air campaigners of NorCal, um, and he's here to share just kind of about what God uh, has on his heart to talk about uh, evangelism, evangelism and sharing sharing the gospel with someone that's clearly gifted in his evangelism, which is one of those things, an area that personally I don't feel that I'm gifted in, and I'm so grateful that God has gifted people in that because it's so essential sharing the gospel. You know, the word of God says, how can they know unless they're preached, right? You have to learn everything you know. So you have to preach the gospel. They have to learn it somehow. Brenton Powers. Amen. The Bible says that we should rescue those who are staggering toward the slaughter. That's what we're going to talk about today is evangelism. And so anyone who's scared by that, raise your hand. I get scared by that. Yeah, let's be honest. That's a scary topic. So thank you for staying in your seat. Um, I hope to encourage you by the end of this to not stay in your seat forever, but to run out those doors because the lost are perishing. And you, if you know Jesus, you have a message that can save them. So we'll talk about that. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given your son because you so love the world and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. I pray, Lord, that you would, if someone's new here today that doesn't know you uh, or been coming for a little while and is on the fence, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them today. Help me to, to share the gospel clearly. And I also pray for those who are saved and are walking with you and growing with you and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you, as our Lord, would lead us and make us what you want us to be. Thank you for your promise that when we follow you, you will make us fishers of men. And so be with us. I correct myself. You're always with us, Lord. You said, I will be with you to the ends of the age, but help us to know that you are with us and have that confidence that we're here and we're going in your authority. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So go. That's the word for today. Go. Well, don't we already go? We go places. As we go, what are we supposed to do? The word go really is um, the third part of the vision for Calvary Chapel Yuba City this year, but I think it's been of other years as well, because every church usually has a three-part mission statement. And as a missionary, I've been studying different ways people can express the third part of that that mission as go, as sharing, as evangelism, as it's already been called today, proclaiming. It's the outreach portion of the church, but it comes after for Christians, for, for those who have come to know Jesus and growing in Jesus. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus will do this work in us. And I just want to relieve a little bit of pressure at the moment, but we're looking for people who Jesus is already in the process of making you a fisher of men. When he says, make you a fisher of men, he's not saying, I'm going to force you to do something that you don't want to do. It's God that works in you both to will and to do. And first, follow Jesus. That was for the first few years of my walk. I had no interest in evangelism or missions. I just knew I didn't know the Lord like I needed to. I needed to grow in 
in faith and in grace and in the knowledge of my Lord and Savior. So take that pressure off. If you don't feel this is for you right now, just file it away as, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I know that this is Jesus's goal for me to make me what he wants me to be. You might not be an evangelist, but all of us are called when he fills us with his spirit to be witnesses. So I hope that takes a little pressure off of you. Now, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Those are from Mark, Matthew, and John, some of Jesus's last words. So let's examine Jesus's last words. Next slide. Matthew 28, 19 is the references. If you're a Bible student, you want to take notes, maybe you have it memorized. Go make disciples. The word go is one of Jesus's last words before he ascended into heaven. So that tells you something of the importance. Those last words carry a lot of weight. Now Jesus, this is after he died and rose again, but was about to ascend to heaven and leave his disciples here, this ragtag group of people that were fishermen and zealots and tax collectors that he had been working with and discipling for years, for a few years. Now they're going to be without him in their midst, except the Holy Spirit will be with them. So when he says go, where are we to go? Luke 24 verse 47 says, to all nations. Acts 1.8 says, to the ends of the earth. So this is a global mission. I love looking at the earth at nighttime. They have this NASA uh, composite of all this, the, the night lights that pop out because that's where the population centers are. I don't care so much for the borders and the maps that are drawn uh, in the maps that are drawn dividing people. But where the light is, that's where the people are. Let's try to grasp Jesus's heart for the world. And let's dive in a little bit more into the context. I like what one person said to me this morning. When someone teaches the Bible, you should scan a little bit before and a little bit after to make sure it's not being taken out of context. So in context, Matthew 28 verse 18, Jesus had came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. What's the therefore? Therefore, the basis for us going into all the world is Jesus's authority. And I think this can help you, anyone who's feeling like, well, I just don't feel like I have earned the right to share the gospel somebody until I built a long-term relationship with them and really lived out my faith consistently. And they create all of these hurdles between having a friend and sharing the gospel that they might never ever get to the gospel. Let me encourage you, the basis of our authority to share the gospel with them is not because we've earned it, but because Jesus has earned it. Amen? Jesus lived the perfect life. He's the perfect Christian, and he is Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He demonstrated his love, and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He rose from the dead, and he proved that he conquered sin, Satan, death, and hell. And so he has all authority in heaven and on earth. So I don't need to be a perfect example before I can be an example of a sinner saved by grace and share that good news with others. That's the basis why we go. And then how do we go? As it continues, Matthew 28, 19. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Let's get a Bible in your hands. And uh, Mallet will will drop some off. So go ahead, keep those hands high if you need a Bible. We're in Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples. Again, the word make there is not force people to become disciples or shove the gospel down their throats, right? It's, in the Greek, it literally means to completely teach them. Let's teach the whole counsel of God to all the people of God so that the people of God can go into all the world that God made. How do we make disciples? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And we have this great promise that's also precious. And I alluded to it in my prayer. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we have Jesus's power, his authority, and his presence, albeit through the Holy Spirit. He is with us in spirit, and he is with us. So he's not just sending us, you go, I'm going to stay here and watch. He's going with us. It's not that he sends us to do it on our own. He sends us to do this with his power. So that's the discipleship part, the growing part. Go and do that. That's part of the mission. And just as I care about the gospel being spread to the lost, I care about the saved being discipled. But I'm here to talk about outreach. So we're going to do that. Mark 16, examine the context a little bit. We're in verse 14 through 20. Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 14 and 20. I love the sound of Bible pages turning. That's great. Afterward, verse 14, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. And I'm going to skip just a few things for the sake of time, but to focus, verse Verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world. Again, there's the word go. 
right? Our word for today, go into all the world. That's where, everywhere, and proclaim the gospel. Evangelizo is the Greek word for evangelize, preach the gospel. You, like eulogy is the Greek preface for it, good, like a good word. Evangelizo is a good message. We have a good message. It's a good news message for the whole world. And it's a life or death issue. Evangelism is a life or death thing, and it's eternal. Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will follow. Notice he didn't say whoever does not believe and doesn't isn't baptized is condemned. We don't teach baptismal regeneration. That's the sign that you are saved. The obedience to Jesus's command to be baptized is not what saves you. It's the way of expressing your faith. In other words, it's faith in Christ that saves. And then that inward reality is expressed in an outward sign. You were buried with Christ underwater and you're raised to Christ when you come up out of the water. You're identifying with his life, death, and resurrection. So that's the significance of baptism. You're not saved by baptism. Peter says it's not the cleansing of the water from the flesh that saves you, but the cleansing of your conscience. And that's through the blood of Jesus. And so whoever believes, this is a pretty clear dichotomy, right? There's no middle ground. Whoever believes is saved. Whoever does not believe is condemned. That's How bad a news is that? The bad news is, without Christ, we all deserve to go to hell. Now, that's not a popular thing to say. And I don't start with that when I share the gospel. I start with... Uh, God loves you. God sent his son to save you. But as soon as we mentioned saving, saved from what? A gentle way, and we'll go over this in the workshop a little bit more, but a gentle way to show somebody that they need salvation is to say, do you think you're good enough to get into heaven? Do you think that you're a good person? And we have a tract that says, are you a good person? It goes through the story of Mr. Nice Guy, and he thinks he's pretty good. If good people go to heaven, he'll be first in line. But you start walking through the Ten Commandments. Have you ever lied? Yeah. Have you ever stolen? Yeah. Have you ever hated anyone or called them an idiot? Yeah. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Yeah. Have you always loved God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength all the time? No. So the summary of the law is love God perfectly and love your neighbor as yourself. I've failed at doing that. How about you? So as you see, I'm putting myself on their level. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all need to be saved. That's why you need to believe to be saved because we, apart from faith, are unrighteous in the eyes of a holy God. And so that's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Mark 16, and it's the very last verse, verse 20 of Mark 16, verse 20. Look at it with me. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So Jesus says, go. Therefore, they went. When Jesus told the stormy sea, peace, be still, it calmed down, right? The winds died down. When God created the heavens and the earth, said, let there be light, light was. When Jesus said, go, Jesus says, go to you. Are you going to go? Man is the one rebel in creation that doesn't always obey. But Jesus has authority, and that's one huge reason to go. I want to share some more personal reasons why I go before I get too far. So I was a senior in high school, drawing at the art table. One girl asked the other girl across from me, what are you going to do after high school? The Christian girl says, whatever Jesus wants me to do. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll do whatever he wants me to do because I love Jesus. I was like, whoa. And the other girl was like, whoa, like I believe in Jesus, but I'm not that religious. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to, you know, figure out my way in life. Why do you want to do whatever Jesus wants? Don't you have your own will or don't you have your own plans? She's like, his ways are higher than my ways and he has a better plan for me than I could ever dream of. And he, she started preaching in the middle of art class, public high school. And I'm sitting there across the table like, I've never heard someone my age talk about Jesus like they know him personally and they follow him. And uh, the, the girl next to me on this side, she was a witch in Wiccan religion. And she was just getting really perturbed. And she was, hey, Christians talk about Jesus, don't you? I was like, kind of am a Christian, but not like that. <laughs> and you know, I prayed the sinner's prayer at VBS when I was a kid and also a second time at the Good News Club across the street. I said the sinner's prayer. I had my fire insurance, my ticket to heaven. So I was good as far as I was concerned. But I didn't know about following Jesus. And the more this girl talked across the table from me, she was like, Jesus is the reason we're alive. Like he gave us life for a reason. There's a purpose to life. And as a Gen Xer lost in relativism and believing a lot of the same things that everyone who did 
didn't call themselves a Christian believed. Evolution, abortion was okay. Who knows, maybe God put us here as an experiment. What about aliens? Yeah, that probably there's life out, you know, there's no meaning in life. I learned from my atheist stepdad and sister that uh, religion is kind of marginalized and here's reality. But hearing from these Christians, I was like, I'm not that kind of Christian if I am even a Christian. After class, the girl said to me, she had heard me say, I I'm kind of a Christian. <laughs> she singled me out after class and said, you're a Christian? Really? <laughs> To my shame, I was not living like one. And she's like, have you been discipled? I was like, what is that? Sounds like discipline. Does that hurt? <laughs> not interested. <laughs> uh, and uh, she said, well, it hurts a little bit. Jesus said you have to be willing to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow him, but it's worth it. So would you like to come to our discipleship group after school? And you, do you go to church anywhere? No, nope. you should go to church. What kind of Christian are you if you haven't been discipled or followed Jesus or even care about his plan for your life? And God began just breaking my pride. And it's like, yeah, I want to know more about that. That sounds like more meaningful than everything I had tried before to find meaning and purpose in life. And so I know I'm getting off the Bible study, but I committed my life to Jesus a couple months later, and God spoke to me to live for his glory, and that changed everything. Uh, I was in a secular rock band with my sister when I got called to make music for his glory. I quit the band, and she's an atheist, so that was doubly bad news for her. <laughs> So I started getting persecuted in my home very early on, called all kinds of terrible names, cursed out. I don't want to repeat what she said to me. But I learned quickly that I needed to have a, a reason for the hope that I had. Because if I didn't have that foundation, if I didn't know why I believe, then I wouldn't believe for long. Because that was a pretty heavy attack. So I was the guy that comes to church and asks, well, what about this and what about that? But I really wanted to know, like, what about aliens? <laughs> what, what, what about, like, you know, all these different things that people don't commonly ask questions about? I was so curious because I wanted to know. Are you like that? Do you want to know the Lord as much as possible? Do you want to know his plan for your life? Do you want to know how he can use you in this world to make a difference? Well, seek him and he will reveal himself to you. I'm a witness of that. I knew one Bible verse at age 17. It was John 3:16. God gave me a hunger for his word. So now I've read through it. I studied through it. I had a hunger uh, just to know more. And I was listening to the radio. I discovered Calvary Satellite Network Radio 25 years ago. And I just would not want to get out of my car because I was just getting good teaching, verse by verse teaching through the, through the Bible. And then I discovered there was a Calvary Chapel in Monterey. And I was like, I'm going there. It's like, I want to know more. There's more in the, like the whole counsel of God. There's no talk off limits in the Bible. Like everything in the, in the word of God is valuable and useful. So I'm talking about discipleship, but this had to happen first. In fact, after I committed my life to the Lord, they said, okay, and one of the things he's calling you to is to go preach the gospel. I said, no, that's not for me. <laughs> what about missions? What about the nations? You can raise support and go on a mission trip. No, that's not for me. What about pastoring or being in the ministry full time? No, that's not for me. I'm a drummer. I play in the worship team. That's all I'm going to do. God incur mentally opened my heart to more and more of his will. And I hope that he's doing that for you too. Jesus is the one that made me a fisher of men. I wasn't naturally a fisher of men. I was naturally an egotistical. All I cared about was my own comfort. But the more I started walking in faith, he showed me he can be trusted. And it's just one step after another, following Jesus and growing in the knowledge of him and knowing that he is good. And anything he plans for you, it's for your good, it's for his glory, it's for the good of the world. Okay, I'll stop sharing my testimony at the moment. One of my life verses is Acts 1.8, and this will also encourage you if you feel like, I don't know how to do, I don't have the power to do that. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea, which is the like region that Jerusalem was in, to Samaria, which is the region just north of Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. So it starts at home. It starts by waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit to transform you. It's Jesus that makes you a fisher of men. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power that is not from you. It's a supernatural power to be bold enough to take that next step. Whether that next step is, for example, today. Some of you are just going 
to watch and pray for an hour when we go out to pray for people, share the gospel with people. That's the way I learned. I waited until I received power. And I'll share a short story. Um, I was at Bible college. I went, like I said, Bible college changed my life. But I knew after the first year of going there, I was too comfortable. Southern California, there was the hot springs. God spoke to me through Job that sometimes you have to suffer in order to grow and for your faith to be tested and proven. And he spoke to me personally that you're not going to grow as much if you just are saying, God, I'm only staying here in California. This is my comfort level. and I'm more comfortable in Northern California than Southern. God said, you're not going to grow as much as I want you to if you only stay in your comfort zone. And so I was like, okay, what do I do? They announced that there's an extension campus in Europe. So I actually went there in 1999, and it was against what my flesh wanted to do. I wanted to be comfortable in the California sun, and, it's, and when we got there, there was snow. I hate the snow. <laughs> I hated the snow. I love it now. I was afraid of foreign cultures. What if like, I get in a situation where we can't communicate? I don't know the language. I don't know the culture. What if this? What if that? Does that sound familiar? Like I had all these objections, but God said, trust me, step out in faith. I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. And as we just, my wife and I, we were engaged at the time. We took, took just the next step. For us, it was go to the Bible college in Austria, which it was a beautiful campus. They still do some conferences there. It's like the Swiss Alps or the Austrian Alps with a view of this beautiful sea, the lake, Milstadter Sea, they call it, and this castle. It was just picturesque. Very easy way to step into missions. And God provided for us to, to go and learn from other missionaries. All the teachers there were missionaries. And I was like, I'm not going to be a missionary. Even though I was, I'm in Austria out of obedience. Jesus said, go, I'm here. But I'm not really, I don't feel like that's my my calling and my wife at the time she's like don't you think you should at least pray and see if god would speak to you about it i was like okay if god speaks to me about it i'll go but i haven't heard from him guess what god did he spoke to me about it <laughs> You know, there was a trip offered, hey, let's go to Romania for 10 days and do an outreach. And I went to the interest meeting. I'm just at the interest meeting, not committed to going, but the leader of it, her name is Marilyn Gibbs. She had um, saved a lot of babies in uh, the orphanages there. And she was leading a team of students. And at the interest meeting, she just said, let's open in prayer. And she said, God, I thank you for sending us to Romania. And in my heart, I said, God, you haven't told me I'm going to Romania. Are you sending me to Romania? And I heard, yes. Like, okay, go. That's the word. So you can actually see on this map all the places that God has sent me to go preach the gospel. Those red dots over there. I've shared the gospel in all of those cities. We lived, my wife and I, lived in Ukraine for three years. And we helped plant Calvary Chapel Preluki and Calvary Chapel Nisian. And then we came home for a couple years. My daughter, who's uh, 16 years old now, she was born in Salinas. And then we moved to Latvia where I pastored Calvary Latvia for six years, and my son Sam was born. But my wife and kids have lived the majority of our kids' lives in Europe. Came back seven years ago after teaching at the Bible College in Hungary. Actually, Pastor Kevin got me that job teaching at the college, because when he left, he's like, you want to come fill my place? I said, sure. He invited me to teach the at the apologetics class. Uh, he was he was organizing. And I'm excited to say I'm going to be teaching the apologetics class here in November and December. All those hard questions my sister asked and the, and the hunger that God gave me to know the answers, he used to equip me to share in atheistic countries like Ukraine and Latvia and Romania and Hungary. And people get saved, like not all the time. Don't expect like the first time you go, everyone's going to get saved. You'll get resistance. Some people say, no, thanks. You learn to not take it personally. But people People did get saved. I do want you to just get the heart of a missionary. Sometimes it's better caught than taught, right? So the fact that my sister still to this day rejects Jesus Christ and fights against him in her atheist hard rock band where every song is about how God is a monster. She's fighting for the wrong team. So what am I going to do? I'm going to fight for the right team. Fight the good fight. I love my sister and I weep and I pray for her salvation. But God has used her to strengthen my faith and learn how to be patient with people like her all around the world and here. And so, you know, if you ever listen to 
the way I share the gospel on social media or on the radio. Because I was ministered to by the radio, I have my own radio show now, and I, I try to equip people who are Christians to share the gospel. But we're on a secular radio station actually sharing the gospel on the secular radio station, a news station, not a Christian station. And we just go and teach through the Bible and proclaim the gospel and answer skeptics' questions. And God is at work. We just have to take the next step. Follow Jesus, and he will make you a what? A fisher of men. But let me conclude with this scripture. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15 is the best summary of it. Paul said, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. This is the power of God for salvation. It's what I preached and what I received. What you received, and so stand in it. It's what you are saved by. It's of first importance. So if you hold fast to the gospel, if you hold fast to the same gospel that Paul preached, and if it's true that Christ died and rose again on the third day, and if it's according to scripture, then that gospel saves your soul. Here's the four points. This is the gospel about Christ, what he did. He died for our sins. You admit that you're a sinner. You realize the wages of sin is death, but he loved you so much that he died in your place. Second, he was buried. They don't bury people that are in a coma. So this is proof that he did in fact die. They buried him because he was indeed dead. I, I bring that up because some people think, oh, he just, you know, went to sleep for a little while. So I had someone call in on the radio and say, well, Jesus just took the weekend off. So like, no, it was much worse than that. He bore the wrath of God in our place. And then the third historical fact is that Jesus rose on the third day. What does that mean? It means he's alive. It means he conquers sin and death. The wages of sin was paid for. He overcomes our greatest enemy, death itself. And then he appeared. That's the fourth historical point. Many times over 40 days, he appeared in the flesh, giving them infallible proofs that he is alive. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Confucius is dead. But Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. So therefore, all authority has been given to him. Therefore, go preach the gospel to every person intentionally. Don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them and God will be with you and he'll make you the kind of fisherman that he wants you to be. So Dan, how long have you been an evangelist? I've been an evangelist since 2008. Um, it was shortly before then that God really started to convict me, um, encourage me, or show me that I needed to share my Christian faith with others. And it's not something that comes naturally to me at all, but it was something that I knew I needed to do. And then in 2008, I went to a training session down in the Los Angeles area um, with a group called Living Waters. For the Christians out there, we highly recommend that you look into that ministry. They've got some of the best training materials and some of the best gospel literature out there. And videos. They're one of the top YouTube, oh, yeah. Christian YouTube channels. That's true. Ray Comfort, who leads that ministry, has a ton of videos up on YouTube. And they're cool. I mean, some of it's open-air preaching, but most of his videos are him just going out, yeah. riding his bike around with his dog in the basket, <laughs> riding up to people and talking to them. Yeah. Before he got the dog, uh, yeah. I had never met Ray Comfort, and I still haven't met him, but a lot of training that he offers through through video, I received. So uh, both Dan and I have been influenced by Living Waters yeah. and Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron. Uh, that was my first exposure is their series through, um, what's it called? The Way of the Master. Way of the Master. Which is a great series for the, those of you who want to learn how to share your faith. Yeah, most definitely. I've been through and I've taught through that lesson. And yeah, I've met I've met Ray a couple of times and he is, a, he is an interesting character. But from there, um, we've gone on to get our own experience and develop yeah. our own unique ways of sharing the gospel. What are some of the ways that yeah. uh, you feel um, or that people have told you is helpful uh, for them that they've received from you? Like what ways uh, uh, do people, what kind of feedback do you get when you evangelize? Actually, most of the time, really positive. The message can be tough. So I think a lot of Christians, because it's interesting that not only do we get negative feedback from non-believers, sometimes we get negative feedback from believers who don't understand the right way to do this. Because like with so many things, there are good ways and bad ways to do to do evangelism. But um, because um, I and and you as well, Brent, and I've seen you doing evangelism long enough to know that you know our our methodologies and our our thought process you know match pretty well. Um, we we get positive feedback because even though we're preaching a message that can be difficult and challenging, and we do preach about sin and we do preach about hell because the Bible talks about them, therefore we need to talk about them. That's part of the um, message. But yep. That is part of the message, but we try to do it in a respectful way. Yes. We're not beating up on people. We're not talking down to them. We're mm -hmm. not just yelling, your 
are going to hell. They may Mm -hmm. be, and we share that with them. But, you know, I think one of the things that's most important that I try to do when I'm sharing is to be self-reflective, which means I'm not meaning to put myself up on a pedestal and point a finger at somebody else and say, you have a problem. I want to stand next to that person and, and say, we have a problem. You're a sinner. So am I. We've got the same problem with God. Let's look at the solution together. And of course, that solution is is Jesus Christ. So attitude and I think humility when we talk about difficult subjects is hugely important if we're going to have a real conversation. And that's what we want to do. What would you like to uh, share with our non-Christian listeners today? Or what would you like to start with today? First, just talking a little bit about what evangelism means. Like you mentioned, there are even tech companies out there or, you know, large corporations out there that have positions called evangelist. I was looking online just out of curiosity yesterday, and I saw a job opening for Adobe, which of course is one of the biggest tech companies out there. It's really close to me here in San Jose. They're downtown. And the position that they were looking for is education evangelist. Mm. Of course, it has nothing to do with Christianity, but that person is basically a liaison between the company and educational institutions to kind of share with them how what Adobe does can help them. So they're sharing a message of good news about (laughs) their product and how that product can help somebody else. And we, and it comes from the the Christian idea of evangelist. Did you apply for that job? No, I did not. (laughs) I'm a different kind of evangelist. Yeah, I heard the word evangelist used in a political context by Ron Paul when he was running for president. He said, I'm an evangelist for libertarianism. I'm preaching the good news of of why we should all be libertarians. Yeah, that's it. And that's what it means. That's where the the word comes from. I mean, I'm not not a Greek scholar, but uh, my understanding is it's euangelion comes from, uh, is Greek for good news or one that brings a a good message. In fact, um, um, angelos, which is the second part of that word, is where we get our word angel from. And of course, an angel is a heavenly messenger bringing a message. So we are bringing a message of good news. And the first part Um, of euangelion is the you, like mm -hmm. eulogy, Mm -hmm. a good word. Euangelion means a good or joyful message. That's right. And that is what we are doing. We are bringing a good message. And that's the message of of who or what God did through Jesus Christ so that we could be made right with him, so we could be brought into right relationship with God. Because the Bible tells us that by nature, we are at enmity with him. We are in an adversarial um, relationship with God. Oftentimes, we don't think of ourselves that way, but we need to think of ourselves that way. And so part of the message is the good news. The other part of the message is sharing the bad news so that the good news makes sense. You know, you can't, you know, somebody's not going to want to take medicine if they're not, you know, convinced that they're sick. So that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what Christian evangelists do is we take that message, in our case, out to where people are. Now, and and I want to be clear when when people hear the word evangelist, the other thing that comes to mind is like television evangelists. You know, people who are out there saying, send me your thousand dollars and we'll, you'll get a hundred percent return on it or something like that. Or, you know, give me a bunch of money and I'll send you this prayer cloth, which will heal all your illnesses and things (sighs) like that. We're not that kind of evangelist. (laughs) We're not not charlatans? No, we're not charlatans. I'm pretty sure. That's good. Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, they're kind of, they have a tendency to be kind of over the, over the top and flamboyant and wear really expensive clothes and, and drive expensive cars. And you've, we've seen these scandals about them buying multi-million dollar airline airplanes because God told me I needed it. You know, that kind of a thing, which is, no, we're not that kind. We're just normal guys who are going out and talking to other normal guys and girls about the best news anybody could ever hear. So not that kind of evangelist. This is a side point. Have you ever seen that, uh, that blog, uh, Preachers and Sneakers? I don't think I have. <laughs> Sounds interesting, though. <laughs> well, they, they capture photos of, like, some of these world-famous preachers mm. and then in these shoes, and then they have a picture right next to that of the price tag of these shoes. Oh, like boy. Yeezys or something. So, like, Stephen Furtick, you know, a lot of photos of him in those expensive-looking shoes. I don't think I've spent more than 50 or $60 on a pair of shoes in my life. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, yeah, anyway, it's, that's, yeah, it is. That's neither here nor there. But uh, so we're not prosperity preachers. We are not. No, we're not prosperity preachers. We're not television evangelists. We're nothing like that. We're street evangelists, just trying to relate yeah. to the common people on the street and uh, reach as many people with the good news as possible. Now, why? That's right. Why, why do you do it, Dan? Are you just trying to control people? <laughs> no, not at all. I'm playing the devil's advocate here. But. I know you are. Well, he's got enough advocates already, but I do see your point. <laughs> Uh, first of all, I think it's really important that that we clarify exactly what the Christian claim is. Because if people don't understand this, then what we do isn't going to make sense. And we live in a culture where a lot of people see religious claims as like flavors of ice cream. Mm. You know, you've got your flavor of ice cream and you like that. And Bob or Sue over there have their flavors of ice cream. And it's a little different than yours, but it really doesn't make a difference. It's just personal preference. It's just a taste thing, you know. I and like then, Tinder so Sunday you, the best, personally. Well, there you go. I, one of the one of the examples I use on the street, you've heard it many times, is you know there are some things that are a matter of taste, like chocolate versus vanilla ice cream. I like vanilla. My wife likes chocolate. I'd be stupid to tell her she was wrong. Yeah. But Christianity says that our knowledge of God and what we understand about how to be right with Him is not like ice cream cream, it's like insulin. Mm. Ice cream, you have a different flavor. It's no big deal. That's just a matter of taste. Insulin, you get it wrong and you die. Oh, and no. that is really the kind of claim that we're talking about, that that it's not just something about human choice. There is something real, not within us, only within us, but out there, something that is true about the nature of reality that we need to deal with, that we need to understand, and you can be right or wrong about this. When it comes to God's nature, who he is, which God <laughs> being described is the correct one, you know, there's right and wrong answers for that. Mm. Another thing I want to clarify, another thing that we talk about on the streets, I'm not talking about how we treat people who believe differently than us. You know, I think that because every man, woman, and child is created in God's image, they have value and dignity, and we should treat people with respect. But ideas are either right or wrong. And the nature of God as we describe it, we describe it either correctly or incorrectly. Yeah, ideas about what reality is are either right yeah. or wrong, and it, they can be a matter of life and death and what you believe about God. Yes. Like insulin. Yeah. You have to make sure you get the right dose, otherwise right. You, your life could be over. So how do we make sure that we have enough of God in our life? Some people are not very religious. Is that, that okay? Well, once again, that depends on the worldview. You know, that depends on what you assume is correct and true about reality. If God is who he says he is in the Bible, and he is, <laughs> obviously we believe that or we wouldn't be we wouldn't be having this discussion. But if God is who he says he, says he is, then what we believe about the nature of reality, what we believe about him as our creator and our king and our Lord, the one who has power and authority over us, what we believe about the problem that we have with God, which is the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. That's the problem that separates us from him. And what we do about that problem to solve it, all of those things are, are matters of eternal importance. So, and you, they, have, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, that was a long run on sentence. I just want to kind of sum it up and to clarify, yeah, when you say what we believe about the nature of reality, what did you say after that? We'll determine what? Well, it's going to determine where we spend eternity. Where we spend eternity. Good. Yeah. Um, are you talking about like, if you get a theology question wrong, then you're going to go to hell? No, I mean, it's, and that that's actually a good point, because we, we talk about that a lot on the street, too, don't we? Because people will ask, well, you mean if I don't believe in Jesus, or if somebody born in, you know, the darkest part of Africa doesn't believe in Jesus when he's never heard about Jesus, does that mean he's going to hell for getting a theology question wrong? And the answer is no, but we really need to reframe the question. Um, How would you reframe the, the, that the, question? Yeah, the issue is the problem. The problem is that we are all sinners. That scripture says that in Romans 1 that we God's existence should be obvious from what he's been from what he's made, but that we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That we love our sin, we want to live in our sin so we push down that knowledge that we have. We should know that God exists. I think most people do, well, in their heart of hearts everybody knows that God exists. But most people believe even believe in him outwardly. We know that God exists. We know that there is such thing as right 
right and wrong. You know, God has written his law in our heart, and our conscience bears witness. That's why we can talk about God's law. And even with people that have no religious background, and they're going to agree with us 99% of the time, we know that God exists, we know there's right and wrong, and we choose to do wrong. Some people will say, well, I have my own moral, you know, guidelines that I go by. Yeah, you can't even follow your own moral guidelines. None of us can. That's the problem. Um, so whether or not the person has heard the solution, has had has had access to the solution to the sin problem or not, they're still sinners. Well, I think the the real issue in in that analogy is making sure you're taking the right medicine okay. and not a placebo. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know be, because well, I mean using the sh- the sugar thing, you know, they're you know what a placebo is. Some people will take something, uh, you know, sugar pill when a medicine. Yeah, yeah, medications being tested. Some people take the real one and some people take a, a placebo, which is just a sugar tablet. So people will, will take that and mentally they'll think they have medicine in them. And so it makes them feel a little bit better. It may be even allow them to psychologically get rid of the symptoms for a while. But if they have something like cancer, you know, the placebo may make them feel better for a while, but it's not going to solve the problem. It's not going to cure the disease. And the other faiths out there, the other religions, religions out there, some of them are placebos, some of them are just straight up poison that'll mm-hmm. kill you faster, but none of them are going to solve, are going to cure your disease. Christianity is the cure for the disease of sin. And so we need to receive Jesus fully as yes. he is and not a counterfeit Jesus. Maybe that's a better, we're not calling people to be religious. There's no call in the Bible no. to uh, be a religious person. It says, repent and believe the gospel. That's right. That's Sorry, right. I'm preaching. This is your time. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's your gifting, and and my gifting is, you know, a little different, and that's okay because both of the sides are important. Yep. But yeah, I mean, that's really what it is. It's it's the solution to the problem, and it doesn't. And you have to take the right medicine. It doesn't matter how many placebos you have or how big that sugar tablet okay. is. Eventually, you're getting that sugar crash, and and you're going to have a problem. Speaking so of right when we, you said crash, there was a <laughs> crash in the background. One of your cats. Yeah. Probably jumped. Yeah, up that on. was one of my cats just helping out with the illustration. How nice of him. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, it actually good timing. <laughs> okay. Where did you want to go from here? I don't want to get stuck on the how much of Jesus do we need, but that was yeah. just I thought people might wonder. No, and 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 it's a it, and it is a good analogy. Um, but once again, it's we've we've clarified that Christians do this. They do evangelism, and Christianity is a missionary religion, not because we're trying to get something out of it or. Something somehow we need to earn our way into heaven, but because, number one, Christianity says that people are dying and going to hell, and we don't want to see that. We want to see people saved, like we've been saved. We want people back in right relationship with God. Now, you may not like our methodology, you know, but the reason that we're out there, whether you like us or not, is because we love you, and we love God, and we want to see you saved and in heaven, and we want to see God glorified. Glorified. That's the reason we're going out and doing this. Okay, so you said, I love that. Christianity is a missionary religion because, number one, people are dying and going to hell. Do you have a number two and number three? Mm-hmm. I can I, I can think of a couple. Go or, for it. Number two, uh, because God so loved the world, he sent his only son. You may not be familiar with that verse, but it's basically God sending his son as a missionary on a rescue mission from heaven to earth to die for our sins, to rise from the grave. So so Christianity is a missionary religion, number one, because people are dying and going to hell. Number two, because God is a missionary God, and Jesus yes, is. is the best missionary. And he sent his, dis- number three, Jesus sent his disciples into all the world to share the good news. And uh, so I don't know if there's, a, if you have a number four and five, but those are the two I came up with. <laughs> no, but that's a good transition to why we do and how, why we do what we do, how we do it, you know? Because yeah. as you said, you know, Jesus in, in many ways was a missionary of of course, he, he was not only the messenger, but the message. I mean, it was really about him and who he is and how we can be right with God through him. And what but, he did for us. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, what he did for us. But he sent his followers out. He People just think about the miracles and the crucifixion, and those are important things about Jesus' mm-hmm. life. But another huge part of his life was spending three and a half years, approximately, day in and day out with this group of men that he loved and that he chose, preparing them to carry his message forward, That's right. to go 
out and and be evangelists. He talks about um, them being fishers of men. Now, that was something that was, you know, a, an analogy that would have been easy to grasp in their culture. And of course, several of his disciples were actual fishermen. Um, yeah, but that was the call to actually leave their nets fishing for fish. Yeah, and he said, it. follow me and I will teach you how to fish for men. You'll catch yes. people for the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we're really doing. We mm-hmm. are fishers of men, or we desire to be fishers of men. So we go out to the streets because a good fisherman goes where there's lots of fish. Mm-hmm. And so we go out to places on the street um, where there's people that are, there are a lot of fish swimming around. There are a lot of people who have, you know, time to talk, who have time to listen, who will take literature. And and the methodologies we use are like our bait. How are we going to get those fish to stop and, and bite? I was going to say, do you use bait? Uh, if you're oh, using the fishing analogy. But I also <laughs> know you that you're not for bait and switch, correct? I'm not. I'm not. I. What's the difference? Well, one of the things that I do, and different people have different convictions about the best way to draw people in. Some people, of course, will do something angry or act angry or say something shocking to get people's attention. We don't do that. That's. I, I don't think that that's helpful or kind or honoring to God. Um, but we'll use, I mean, we're, we're clear about what we're presenting. We don't pretend like we're doing, you know, some kind of entertainment. We're not just street performers. We're not art. I mean, artists for the sake of being artists out there. You are an artist. Thank I'm you. Not, but <laughs> I, I sometimes am a street performer, too. I, I did my little guitar ending and jumped off a bench for a little flair. But that's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is you. That is you. But once again, we're not, the point is we're not being secret about who or what we are, about who we're representing. Yeah. We don't pretend to be one thing and then switch it at the last yeah. minute, you know, so that people, you know, you know, find out, you know, at the last second what we're about. I, I just, I don't yeah. like doing that. I Do we... say at the beginning of my messages, I'm a Christian and I'm an evangelist. Yeah, we are upfront about it and we don't want to water down the medicine. To nope. Stick with that analogy a little bit. But, um, yeah. and, but we also don't sugarcoat it too much. I mean, nope. we try to, we try to be sweet and kind, but not uh, in a false way, not in a fake way. Um, I'm I'm less worried about being, you know, sugary and sweet and kind than being interesting and honest, you mm-hmm. know. I, I want people to be intrigued, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be persuasive, um, you know, I want get to make it fascinating for people to stop and listen or mm-hmm. watch or whatever, mm-hmm. but we're straight up about who we are, and I really think that that is um, that, that honesty vulnerability, um, you know, really helps with, you know, talking to people, persuading people, drawing them in. So, but cool. there, and there's lots of different yeah. methodologies that we use. Painting, you you mentioned, I mentioned music, um, gospel tracts, which I like to do, signs that we have that, that grab people's attention, riddles and things like, and it's, it's interesting. Sometimes even the stuff that I think it's not clear what we're about, yeah, people can tell what we're about pretty early <laughs> on. And I I like that. Yeah. You know, they'll go up to one of our riddles, our little riddle um, uh, banners that we have, and, and they're reading it, and they have no idea what the answer is, so they just say, Jesus, or the Bible. They, they know yeah. what we're about, and we're fine with that. Yeah. What do you think about, uh, there are some ministries where they hold up, like, these 10-foot-tall signs that list sins that God is, you know, condemning people to hell for, and they big shirts with, like, flames of, of hell on it. Are, are, do you think they're a little bit over the top, or a lot, or uh, Sometimes. what's good? bad about that. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, if you look at some uh, a group like Westboro Baptist, obviously they they're they're doing pretty much everything wrong. And yeah, I wasn't thinking of them. I was thinking yeah. like Cry to God or some of those. Oh yeah, ministries. Well, they're notorious for those kind of signs, and I think the other groups get the idea from them. Um, I go back and forth on signs. Mm-hmm. I'm not really a sign guy, um, but so much of it has to do with not the content, um, but the presentation style. Because mm-hmm. big signs, I've seen some big signs that had a lot of good truth on them, mm-hmm. and I've seen people wearing T-shirts that you know have something about hell, and but you know, and that's definitely going to grab people's attention. Um, but when they actually present the message, it's a positive message. Mm. It's it's got the good news and it's got the bad news. It's got balance, um, and that's what really what I think is is so important. Yeah, balance is, is, is key. Ba- yeah, it really is. Bad news. There are good news. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of evangelists out there that.
that I would not use the methodology they use. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them are close friends. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have different convictions on the best way of doing it. They can come across more direct and and stronger in the way that they present it. Yeah. And I wouldn't do it exactly that way, but they I think their hearts are right. They're trying to preach a, an accurate biblical message. Mm-hmm. They're trying to reach people for their good and for the glory of God, and that's okay. Yep. That's okay. It's when that balance gets thrown way off and it becomes either all sugary sweet mm-hmm. or all anger and hate and poison, those are when I've got a problem. I appreciate the example, Dan, and the flexibility to work with my unique way of sharing the gospel. <laughs> I did learn a lot from Ray Comfort, and both of us did. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I yeah, I, we want to follow our personal convictions, and I, I don't necessarily agree with the, that the balancing point is 90% law, 10% grace, which is something that Ray yeah. Comfort has taught, and you see that in a lot of his tracks. So I, I try to do more 50-50. Yeah, we, I, I think I would lean more toward law, but... 60-40? 75-25? Yeah, probably, or 70-30. Ultimately, each one of us is going to have to give an account to God for for the way that we handled and the way we presented the message. The, the important thing, I think, once again, is if we... I think there's a continuum mm-hmm. when it comes to street evangelism, if you're going to be faithful. You've got the one side that's all sweetness and love, and there's no condemnation and no talk of sin. And then there's the other side where it's judgment, 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 hell, 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 and and there's no there's no grace, there's no mercy, there's no hope. Right. Um, and and both of those are off. And and I think that there are Christian evangelists and street preachers that are floating around in probably about that middle forty to fifty percent. Mm. And our convictions are going to be different, and when and our presentations will be different, and we will have the ability to to reach different people. Yeah. We're all parts of the, the body of Christ, and different parts of the body have different uses. Yeah, and to some people, you and I might be overly aggressive and in your face than they're comfortable mm-hmm. with, and others might, you know, think, oh, you're the kindest evangelist we've ever seen, and calvary.com slash outreach, my home church, says, oh, open air campaigners is an international ministry that trains evangelists for street evangelism and open air preaching in a winsome and engaging way. We support our local OAC evangelist, Brenton Powers. Nice. Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, I think a, a few points to end with. Number one, you know, why does this matter to us? Why do why do we love what we do and why do we want to be out there and evangelize? And there's really, there's, there's two reasons and I have it kind of summarized on my page and that's because we want to give God glory. We want to see God's name lifted up and him and much made of him and people see how amazing he is and we want to see souls saved we want to we want God to be glorified we want people to end to end up in heaven rather than in hell one day and you know if you know if you are do not know God if you do not know that you're saved we know we don't deserve heaven just like you don't deserve heaven because of our sins but because of what God did in Jesus Christ we will be in heaven one day and we want to see you there too. So what would you say to someone who does not know God? How do they come to know God? Well, first, we need to recognize that we are sinners. We need to recognize that we have broken God's law, that we have sinned against a perfect holy God in so much of what we've done. Scripture says, I mean, a good place to go is the Ten Commandments, where it says, you know, you shall not lie, and all of us have, and all liars have their part in the lake of fire. If you've stolen one thing, you then you're a thief, and no thief will inherit the kingdom of God. We could talk about um, idolatry. We could talk about adultery or looking with lust. We could, there's so many of these, but all of us have broken God's law. We need to recognize that. We need to turn from those sins, not perfect our behavior, but change who and what we follow after from our sins to the Savior. Recognize who Jesus Christ is, what he did, which is living the perfect life, dying the death we deserve, and then rising on the third day to be our lawyer for Judgment Day and put our trust in him alone as the one way with to right, right relationship with God, the one way to have our sins forgiven and our disease of, of death cured. And finally, folks, I just encourage you with this. Some of you may be asking, why should it matter to you? And it matters because there is a God and one day you will walk out of this life and into the next one and have to give an account to him 
him for every thought, word, and deed. When that day comes, you will either end up in judgment or you will end up in heaven. And what makes the difference between those two truths is what you do with your sin. You pay for it yourself, and we pray that you won't do that, or you trust in the one who lived and died and rose to pay for them in your place. And we pray that if you have not already turned to Christ, that you will now while he's given you time.